listening to the sermons from St. Timothy's Church. For more information, please check out our website at stTimothystores.org or come visit us Sunday nights at 615 at the St. Mark's Chapel right here on Yukon's As we spend time engaging with God's Word, we just want to create space for God to speak to each of us individually, as He's also going to speak to all of us corporately. So as you listen to God's Word tonight being spoken directly to you, pay attention to whatever word or phrases or emotions stand out. And whatever stands out to you tonight, right now, as we listen to this Word, let it be the start of a conversation with God. Ask Him, God, what are you trying to say to me through your Word? Why is this word standing out? What are you trying to talk to me about? And as we prepare to hear God's word, we just want to clear our mind, clear our hearts, let go of any stress or anxiety or physical pain that we've been carrying in so we can be really present here tonight. So I'm just going to invite you to close your eyes, take a deep breath in, breathing in the goodness of God. And a long, slow breath out, just letting go of any worry or fear or anxiety or pain. And just one more deep breath in, just soaking up the goodness of God. And one long, slow breath out, just letting go of any distractions or stress. And committing to be fully present here tonight to be attentive to what God has for you. So speak, Father. We are listening with open hands, with open hearts, and with open minds. John 6, 25-51 When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. And then they asked him, What must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, What sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, Always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I, shall not lose, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. 
For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. And I will raise them up at the last day. At this the Jews there began to grumble about him, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How could he now say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Welcome back to our series on the book of John. The Gospel of John is a great starting place for studying Jesus because it's the one gospel where Jesus speaks really openly and directly about himself, making 26 I am statements in 21 chapters. I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the true vine. So like we talked about last week, if we want to study who Jesus says he is, then the place to turn is the Gospel of John the gospel of the disciple whom Jesus loved, the gospel that presents a very personal, intimate portrait of Jesus. And so today we're going to start unpacking Jesus' first I am statement in John chapter 6, where Jesus says, I am the bread of life, and tries to show the people of Israel that he's come to meet their physical needs and their spiritual needs. Though they don't fully understand it, he's come to fill their stomachs and their spirits. But before we can really dive into this passage and understand everything at stake, there are two important things we need to know. So immediately preceding this passage, just before it, is the famous feeding of the 5,000, where Jesus turned essentially a little boy's lunch, five barley loaves and two fishes, so like five rolls and two sardines, into enough food to feed 5,000 people with 12 large baskets left over. So the people talking with Jesus in John 6, in our chapter today, have food on the brain. They've just seen this miracle, and they want more. They're hungry. And since in John 6, the people are gathering at the synagogue in Capernaum, a little fishing village on the side of Galilee, to celebrate the Passover, they've got food on the brain, but they also have Moses on the brain. Passover is the festival that celebrated how God freed the Israelite people from slavery in Egypt and how Moses led the people from Egypt to the desert and eventually to the promised land. So Passover is a celebration of what God has done 
and how Moses has been God's anointed leader. So thinking about this passage, keep in mind that people have just seen an amazing miracle where Jesus provided bread and bread in abundance. And now they followed him across the Sea of Galilee to the synagogue to celebrate God and commemorate Moses through the Passover festival. And the thought probably foremost in their mind is, we're starving. What is he going to do for us next? What is he going to feed us next? So as you can already tell, as you could tell listening to the scripture, their relationship with Jesus is pretty transactional. What is he going to do for us? We have these needs. Will he meet them? Which, again, are not unreasonable questions and probably many questions and concerns we've brought to Jesus ourselves. Jesus, I need X. I need food. I need job. I need love. I need friendship. I need hope. Will you meet my needs? And in a transactional relationship, we say, if you'll meet my needs, I'll follow you. I'll do what you ask. I'll obey. But if you're not going to meet my needs, I'm going to go to follow someone else who will get my needs met. That's what a transactional relationship looks like. It's getting your needs met first and foremost. And that's what these people are wanting from Jesus. So if I could summarize and paraphrase the conversation between the people and Jesus, it would look something like this. So here's the people. Hey, Jesus, what do we have to do to get more bread? Jesus, all you have to do is believe in me. I'll meet your physical needs. I'll meet your spiritual needs. Because I'm not just the bread of your stomachs. I'm the bread of life. And then here's the people. Great. So we can have more bread? Jesus, I'm the bread. People, great, cool. Moses gave our ancestors bread. So what are you going to give us? Jesus, Okay, let me try this again. I'm the bread. I'm going to give you me. And then the people. Well, we were kind of hoping for more bread. So if you can hear in that sort of silly paraphrase, the problem in in the passage is Jesus is saying, I am. But the people are saying, we want, we need, we're hungry. Jesus is asking for a relationship. The people are asking for a transaction. They want Jesus to feed their bodies and fix their lives. But he's offering to give them eternal life. And if you think about it from a social and political perspective, these people know what it means when someone feeds you. In the ancient Roman world, military and political leaders who wanted the loyalty of the people would open up the storehouses and just pour out free food. Roman historians like Tacitus and Livy recount numerous tales of politicians who bought votes and the approval of people by giving them free food at public gatherings. And remember, these are hungry people. These are farmers. These are shepherds. These people are barely scraping by. So the difference between life and death can be some free food. So these Jewish people know what it means when someone feeds you. They know there's not, no such thing as a free lunch. And when someone gives you bread, you're essentially entering into an agreement with them, a transactional relationship. If you keep feeding us, we'll keep being loyal to you. 
You meet our needs, we'll meet yours. But what they just don't see, what they don't understand, is that Jesus is not just offering to feed their stomachs. He's offering to give them new life, fuller lives, eternal life. And they just don't see the difference. They're thinking with their stomachs. All they can think about is their immediate needs. And they have, they have no idea how much more is available to them through Jesus. So listen again to what Jesus tells the people at the synagogue. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here's the bread that comes from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. So Jesus says he feeds us, he sustains us, he gives us life today and life tomorrow. He gave up his life for ours. He's offering us so, so, so much more than a chunk of bread that goes stale and leaves us hungry for more. So many of us first come to Jesus because we have a need. That is a common reason that people come to faith. They have a physical need, a financial need, an emotional need, a relational need, a desperate need. And sometimes our physical needs are so pressing that we aren't fully aware of the spiritual needs that are just behind them. Our deep inner ache to walk and talk with Jesus every day. To be loved by our Savior, to be protected by him, to find meaning and purpose in serving his people, and to one day go home and spend eternity with him. So we're so consumed by our physical needs, by our practical needs, by our immediate needs, that we don't see our spiritual needs, that we don't recognize that inner hunger. And all we see is our physical needs. But the truth is, money comes and goes. The kids that we long for grow up. The spouses that we prayed for can drive us crazy. And eventually those jobs that we've dedicated our life to will go to someone younger, go to someone smarter, go to someone better prepared. Physical needs come and go. They change over time. But Jesus walks with us through each moment, through each disappointment through each heartbreak. His peace, his comfort, his hope, his presence fills that hole in our deepest place that nothing else satisfies. We think we're hungry for food. We think we're hungry for love. We think we're hungry for money and power and influence and affirmation. But the thing we're really hungry for in our deepest place is Jesus. In the weight and the glory, C.S. Lewis says it this way. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. And I think he's right. We are far too easily pleased to have our bellies full, but not our souls. 
And I have struggled with this myself. When I first started following Jesus seriously in college, it was essentially just a transactional relationship. I wanted romance, and I wanted Jesus to make it happen. I wanted my own personal season of bachelor, The Bachelorette with Jesus playing Chris Harrison. I thought romantic love would fix everything. It would make me feel better about myself. It would give me confidence. It would give me affirmation. It would get rid of that vague and pervasive sense of dissatisfaction that I just couldn't quite put my finger on. I wasn't happy and I was sure that romance was the answer. And it wasn't entirely conscious. I don't know that I laid it out in my mind this way, but I essentially made a bargain with Jesus. I said, I'll be a good Christian girl. I'll go to church. I'll pray. I'll read my Bible. I won't sleep around. And you give me a good boyfriend. Deal? Sound good? And I wanted a boyfriend to fill my heart. Yet all the while, through all my prayers, Jesus was standing there, waiting to fill the things that a boyfriend was never going to fill, waiting to be invited in to the lonely places of my heart. So I made this deal with Jesus, sure that he was going to answer, sure that he was going to respond, sure that this was a good deal. And then I prayed for 10 years and waited for 10 years and wondered, what's going on, Jesus? What happened to our deal? But over that 10 years, my prayers began to change. And it was hard. Let's not, let's not undersell this. 10 years is a long time to pray and to wait and to hope and to believe. It was hard. But as I prayed and as I persevered, I began to experience God's love and God's comfort. And I felt a peace and a presence while I prayed that I hadn't experienced before. My prayers became less about my immediate needs and more about just seeking that peace that I felt in his presence. And the more I prayed and the more I spent time just sitting in God's presence, just absorbing that peace, I sense the Lord saying to me, I have so much more for you than you have for yourself. And then my prayers started to change even more. I still wanted love, but I also wanted Jesus. And I wanted the more that he had for me, whatever that looked like. And the more I prayed and the more I just soaked in the presence of Jesus, my deepest fear that I was profoundly unlovable was slowly being replaced with this burgeoning awareness that I was already completely and unconditionally loved. That Jesus knew all my worst qualities, all my desperate cries, all my neediness, and I was still so precious to him. That he was longing to meet those needs in my heart, and I had never even given him the chance. when my relationship with Jesus stopped being so transactional, when it stopped being about what he could do for me, it changed everything. Instead of just coming to Jesus with a laundry list of needs, I started envisioning myself 
just climbing into his lap like a child and laying my head on his chest. And when I would be sitting there with Jesus with my head on his chest, listening to the beat of his heart, the loneliness and the anxiety and the insecurities, they suddenly sort of seemed not so bad. They slipped away. They did not feel so immediate, so pressing, so overwhelming. Even though nothing in my circumstances had changed. I had been longing for bread. And Jesus was giving me the bread of life. I was hungry for love. And Jesus was offering me love everlasting. And what started as an entirely transactional interaction has become a life-sustaining relationship. I don't worry as much about Jesus meeting my needs now. Because since I've spent time with him, since I've come to know who he is in that 10 years of prayer, I've come to know how good, how loving, how kind he has been. And how he has provided for me each step of the way in the last 10 years. So I have no reason to believe that he will change in the next 10 years. And we say on the website that we believe life with God is the best life. But let me just say that doesn't necessarily mean it's the easiest life. Or the richest life. Or the most comfortable life. Or the most glamorous life. But it is the fullest life full of the love, wholeness, healing, and hope that only Jesus brings. With God, our physical and our spiritual needs are met. Our stomachs and our hearts are full. So as we spend a little time in silence, I invite you to talk with Jesus about your relationship with him. Did you start following him because you had a need? needed him to do something, change something, fix something. And that is a fine place to start. I started there. Many of us have started there. But we don't always want to have a transactional relationship with Jesus. Eventually, you want to have a real relationship with him. where We don't need anything from him other than to spend time with him, to be in his presence, to just delight in him. The way you would do with any friend. The way I know I have a real friendship with someone is when I can just sit with them in comfortable silence, not feeling the need to say anything. And that's what we want with Jesus, to be able to just sit with him. Not expressing a need, not offering a request, not saying a word, just soaking up his presence. So in the bulletin, there are a couple of questions to just direct your reflection Think about what need brought you to Jesus initially. Did he meet that need or are you still waiting? And just think about for yourself, where are you on the spectrum from probably primarily transactional relationship to a real expansive relationship where you are open to just being with Jesus? No words, no needs, no requests. And what would it look like for you to move towards a more expansive relationship, move away from just a transactional relationship into just a a real relationship where you can just be with Jesus? What would need to change about your prayers, 
your expectations, your faith. And lastly, this may seem silly, but it's a great place to start if you want to move along that spectrum from transactional to real expansive relationship. So every real relationship starts with a first date, with a first hangout, with a first moment of connection. So ask Jesus a first date question. What does Jesus like most about you? What makes him most pleased or proud of you? And then write down his response and really think about it this week. Know that Jesus delights in you. Know that if your soul is longing for love and affirmation and acceptance, you already have it. Jesus is filling your heart, not just your stomach. So join me in prayer, and then we'll give you some time to reflect on these questions. Father, we thank you that you are our good Father. That you sent your Son to be the bread of life, to meet all of our needs, physical, spiritual, emotional, practical. And we thank you, Father, that with you, with Jesus, with your Holy Spirit, we will never go hungry, we will never be in want, we will never be in need. We trust that you will provide. So help us trust you enough to let go of our needs, to let go of our requests, to let go of our demands. Help us, Father, to grow in our relationship with you. 